if you were to go out on the street and just ask random people, what is the most disturbing chapter in the Brothers Karamazov? You'd probably get a variety of answers because there are quite a few very disturbing chapters in the book. But I think one chapter which will consistently come up is the chapter called Rebellion, which happens towards the end of the first half of the book. Now before we go any further, before we dive into the content of this chapter, I need to give a very clear content warning. This chapter and this discussion and quotes from this chapter are incredibly graphic. It deals with human suffering, but specifically the suffering and the torture and the abuse of children in a very graphic way. So let's set the scene for this chapter. Ivan and Alyosha are two of the Karamazov children. They've been separated for most of their life. They don't know each other very well. And they've been recently reunited. And Ivan is 24 and Alyosha is 20. And the two brothers are sort of learning about each other. They, they actually have a deep affection for each other, but they're very, very different. And they're sitting together in a restaurant and Ivan is going to be sharing with Elyosha his ideas about religion and about human suffering. When I read the chapter, I like to think about myself when I was in my 20s and I was in college. And at the time, I remember grappling with these really big philosophical questions and feeling the sense that the decisions, the, the conclusions that I come to will have a huge impact, could have a huge impact on the trajectory of my life. Ivan is a kind of atheist. He writes these intellectual articles and they get published and they're very confusing to some people because his exact beliefs aren't so clear, but it's definitely not orthodoxy. It's definitely not a standard religious perspective. Alyosha, on the other hand, has made the decision to live as a monk, to serve in a monastery in service of an elder, in this case, Elder Zosima. And we're going to see in this conversation Ivan says that he's trying to save Ilyosha from the monastery, from Elder Zosima. In my life, I've had friends that made the decision to live a kind of monastic life. And what I mean by that is they chose to abandon the secularism of their family and become much more committed to a religious life in an insular community, in a community which is much more cut off from the modern world. In certain cases, I felt it was taken to such an extreme that I've looked back with some regret, some tinge of regret, and I've wondered, you know, maybe I should have had a conversation like this. And so I think it's clear, it's certainly clear to me, that the stakes of this scene are extremely high. And Ivan appreciates that. He's trying to do something really hard, possibly impossible which is sort of altered the trajectory of his brother's life. Unsurprisingly, in this scene, we, we get a sense that Ivan is really struggling to express himself. He's very eloquent and he's a brilliant uh, orator in a way, but he's, 
he's like in his own kind of mental space and Alyosha will be like prodding him like where are you getting at what are you trying to say and Ivan will seem like distracted like he can't even uh, answer Alyosha the chapter starts with Ivan talking about love Ivan says quote I must make you one confession I could never understand how one can love one's neighbors. It's just one's neighbors, to my mind, that one can't love, though one might love those at a distance." End quote. And this is a theme that recurs throughout the Brothers Karamazov, this question of personal love versus universal love. It comes up again and again in many different forms, and it comes up here. Ivan continues. Suppose I, for instance, suffer intensely. Another can never know how much I suffer, because he is another, and not I. And what's more, a man is rarely ready to admit another's suffering, as though it were a distinction. Why wouldn't he admit it, do you think? Because I smell unpleasant? Because I have a stupid face? Because I once trod on his foot? End quote. So after these sort of introductory remarks, which leave Alyosha very stupefied and confused. Alyosha doesn't really know what Ivan is talking about or what he's trying to say. He's going to make a sharp transition into the topic that he's really interested in, which is this topic of suffering. And when he does that, it becomes clear to us, the reader, and to Alyosha, that part of this question of suffering is this human capacity for obliviousness. You know, Alyosha can be in his monastery and in service of his elder. And it's possible to be totally oblivious to the reality of suffering in the world. And I think that's part of what Ivan's saying here. And I think Ivan's saying, I don't want you to do that. I want you to see and to acknowledge human suffering. Now Ivan is getting towards his argument that he's trying to make. And he's going to say this introductory qualification. He says, I'm going to limit my argument. Quote, I meant to speak of the suffering of mankind generally, but we had better confine ourselves to the sufferings of the children. That reduces the scope of my argument to a tenth of what it would be. Still, we'd better keep to the children, though it does weaken my case. But in the first place, children can be loved even at close quarters, even when they are dirty, even when they are ugly. I fancy, though, children never are ugly. The second reason why I won't speak of grown-up people is that besides being disgusting and unworthy of love, they have a compensation. They've eaten the apple and know good and evil, and they have become like gods. They go on eating it still, but the children haven't eaten anything and are so far innocent." End quote. And so, as we just read, the reason Ivan wants to stick to children is, on the one hand, it's much harder to ignore the suffering of children in the way that it's easier to ignore the suffering of adults. Secondly, Ivan is sort of responding in advance to some of the Christian apologetics that he knows 
Elyosha might be ready with. There's certain arguments which Ivan is familiar with that he's sort of preempting. So there's this idea in Christian theology that mankind was given Eden. They were given paradise. Obviously drawing all this from the story of Eden in the Bible. And we lost paradise. And the reason that mankind lost paradise is because Eden wasn't enough. They didn't want Eden. They wanted freedom. They wanted the capacity to sin and to suffer. And that's what the you know, tree of, what Ivan's going to call the apple or the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil was. And so he says there's this primordial trade-off. There's this primordial exchange that we get freedom. We get this knowledge of good and evil. And in return, we suffer. And so Ivan says, that makes sense for an adult, but you can't say that for a child. Ivan adds another sort of parenthesis here, and he explains to Alyosha that you might be surprised to hear this, but I love children, Ivan says. He says that even cruel, violent, and rapacious people can be very fond of children. And he goes on to tell Alyosha the story of this murderer who terrible criminal ends up in prison in jail and he befriends a child outside of his prison cell window at this point Alyosha interjects and voices maybe what the reader is feeling at this point quote you speak with a strange air observed Alyosha uneasily as though you were not quite yourself he's trying to have Ivan explain himself like what are you talking about brother like this is I don't see where this is going. What is bothering you? And Ivan just ignores Alyosha's interjection. Quote, By the way, a Bulgarian I met lately in Moscow, Ivan went on, seeming not to hear his brother's words, told me about the crimes committed by Turks and Circassians in all parts of Bulgaria through fear of a general rising of the Slavs. They burn villages, murder, outrage women and children. They nail their prisoners by the ears to the fences, leave them so till morning, and in the morning they hang them. All sorts of things you can't imagine. People talk sometimes of bestial cruelty, but that's a great injustice and insult to the beasts. A beast can never be so cruel as man, so artistically cruel. The tiger only tears and gnaws. That's all he can do. He would never think of nailing people by the ears, even if he were able to do it. These Turks took a pleasure in torturing children, too, cutting the unborn child from the mother's womb and tossing babies up in the air and catching them on the points of their bayonets before their mother's eyes. Doing it before the mother's eyes was what gave zest to the amusement. Ivan has more stories like this about the Turks. And of course, Ayosha can only endure so much of this. Quote, Brother, what are you driving at? Asked Ayosha. Ivan responds, I think if the devil doesn't exist, but man has created him, he has created him in his own image and likeness. Just as he did God then, observed Alyosha, end quote. And so what Ivan did was, he said that 
man is like a fiend. He's terrible. And, and maybe the devil was created in the image of man. And again, Alyosha is trying to make sense of all this. And he says, is your point here that you don't believe in God? Is your point here that man created the devil, invented the devil, and that man invented God? Is that what you're driving at? Ivan doesn't give a straight answer. He laughs at what Alyosha says. And he says, oh, Alyosha, you could turn words very well. Implying to some extent that Alyosha is correct. But he says, Alyosha, I, I, I'm a collector. I collect these stories. I collect anecdotes. And I want to share with you some of these anecdotes and newspaper stories that I've collected. Ivan ends up telling a bunch of anecdotes, all of them horrific, involving the torture of children. And his list of anecdotes culminates in the following. Quote, I've collected a great, great deal about Russian children, Alyosha. There was a little girl of five who was hated by her father and mother, most worthy and respectable people of good education and breeding. It's just their defenselessness that tempts the tormentor, just the angelic confidence of the child who has no refuge and no appeal that sets his vile blood on fire. In every man, of course, a demon lies hidden. Skipping ahead a bit, this poor child of five was subjected to every possible torture by those cultivated parents. They beat her, thrashed her, kicked her for no reason till her body was one bruise. Then they went to greater refinements of cruelty, shut her up all night in the cold and frost in a privy, and because she didn't ask to be taken up at night, as though a child of five sleeping its angelic sound sleep could be trained to wake and ask, they smeared her face and filled her mouth with excrement. And it was her mother. Her mother did this. And that mother could sleep hearing the poor child's groans. And now, after we've heard all these terrible anecdotes, Ivan's finally getting to his point about evil, to his argument to Alyosha that he's been building up to all this time. Quote, can you understand why a little creature who can't even understand what's done to her should beat her little aching heart with her tiny fist in the dark and the cold and weep her meek, unresentful tears to dear, kind God to protect her? Do you understand that, friend and brother, you pious and humble novice? Do you understand why this infamy must be and is permitted? End quote. And so now, after asking these questions to Alyosha, saying, you know, why, why is there so much suffering? Why do the children suffer? He's going to give some of the well-known answers that come up in sort of the world of Christian apologetics. Quote, Without it, I am told... Man could not have existed on earth, for he could not have known good and evil. Why should he know that diabolical good and evil when it costs so much? Why the whole world of knowledge is not worth that child's prayer to dear, kind God. I say nothing of the sufferings of grown-up people. They have eaten the apple, damn them and the devil take them all. But these little ones, 
end quote. After this, Ivan goes on to tell another terrible story about a boy who threw a pebble and it injured the paw of one of this, this wealthy aristocratic landowner's favorite dogs, and the landowner has the boy uh, killed by his dogs. And now Ivan's going to ask Alyosha a question about this. He's going to ask Alyosha, what do you think should happen to this landowner? Quote, well, what did he deserve? To be shot? To be shot for the satisfaction of our moral feelings? Speak, Alyosha! To be shot, murmured Alyosha, lifting his eyes to Ivan with a pale, twisted smile. Bravo, cried Ivan, delighted. If even you say so, you're a pretty monk. So there's a little devil sitting in your heart, Alyosha Karamazov. Alyosha responds, what I said was absurd, but... Ivan says, that's just the point. That but, cried Ivan. Let me tell you, novice, that the absurd is only too necessary on earth. The world stands on absurdities, and perhaps... Nothing would have come to pass in it without them. We know what we know. Alyosha, what do you know? I understand nothing, Ivan went on, as though in delirium. I don't want to understand anything now. I want to stick to the fact. I made up my mind long ago not to understand. If I try to understand anything, I shall be false to the fact. And I have determined to stick to the fact. End quote. What Ivan is saying here so powerfully is that it's possible to understand these things. You can come up with theories, with philosophy, with theology. But if you understand these things, you're not being true to the fact. Because the fact is unassimilable. The fact of the suffering cannot be understood and cannot be tolerated. And Ivan says, I'm going to stay true to the fact of the suffering. And I don't want to understand. I don't want explanations. Alyosha, quote, Why are you trying me? Alyosha cried with sudden distress. Will you say what you mean at last? Ivan, of course I will. That's what I've been leading up to. You are dear to me, and I don't want to let you go, and I won't give you up to your Zosima. Ivan for a minute was silent. His face became all at once very sad. And now there's a really powerful section, which I'm just going to skip for brevity because this is a long chapter. After some time, he's going to address himself directly to sort of the Christian eschatological messianic vision of everyone in the world accepting the sovereignty of God and all the sins sort of being absolved and all the people of the world just loving each other infinitely. So Ivan addresses this sort of vision of the future. Quote, I understand, of course, what an upheaval of the universe it will be when everything in heaven and earth blends in one hymn of praise 
and everything that lives and has lived cries aloud, Thou art just, O Lord, and thy ways are revealed. When the mother embraces the fiend who threw her child to the dogs, and all three cry aloud with tears, Thou art just, O Lord. Then, of course, the crown of knowledge will be reached, and all will be made clear. But what pulls me up here is that I can't accept that harmony. And while I'm on earth, I make haste to take my own measures. You see, Alyosha, perhaps it really may happen that if I live to that moment or rise again to see it, I too perhaps may cry aloud with the rest, looking at the mother embracing the child's torturer, Thou art just, O Lord. But I don't want to cry aloud then. When there is still time, I hasten to protect myself. And so I renounce the higher harmony altogether. It's not worth the tears of that one tortured child who beat itself on the breast with its little fist and prayed in its stinking outhouse with its unexpiated tears to dear, kind God. It's not worth it because those tears are unatoned for. They must be atoned for or there can be no harmony. Skipping ahead. I want to forgive. I want to embrace. I don't want more suffering. And if the sufferings of children go to swell the sum of sufferings which was necessary to pay for truth, then I protest that the truth is not worth such a price. I don't want the mother to embrace the oppressor who threw her son to the dogs. She dare not forgive him. Let her forgive him herself, if she will. Let her forgive the torturer for the immeasurable suffering of her mother's heart. But the sufferings of her tortured child she has no right to forgive. She dare not forgive the torturer, even if the child were to forgive him. And if that is so, if they dare not forgive, what becomes of harmony? Is there in the whole world a being who would have the right to forgive and could forgive? I don't want harmony. From love for humanity, I don't want it. Skipping a bit. Too high a price is asked for harmony. It's beyond our means to pay so much to enter on it. And so, I hasten to give back my entrance ticket. And if I am an honest man, I am bound to give it back as soon as possible. And that I am doing. It's not God that I don't accept Elyosha. Only, I most respectfully return him the ticket. End quote.